The Canby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional and unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Quiquitlam peoples. It's April 13th, 2023, and there are 1,283 days until the Vancouver Municipal Elections. This is the Canby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. You're on the road. I am on the road. I am traveling, which is why I sound like I am being relayed through five satellites. But yes, it is, it is a nice little vacation. I'm just headed up to the Sunshine Coast for a friend's wedding. Oh, that'll be lovely. Hopefully the weather is a little bit nicer. It's been kind of all over the place here the last few weeks. It says that it won't be, but fingers crossed. Anyway, best up to your nups, as they say. (laughs) Help Matthew afford to take more trips to sunnier destinations in the future. Patreon.com slash Camby Report. Yes. Patreon.com slash Camby Report. Your source for citizen journalism and my travel piggy bank. Yes, that's exactly how our agreement to pay me works. Lol, no, it isn't. Patreon.com slash Canby Report. Thank you for everyone who has contributed up to now. It is incredibly important. And I, I just really wanted to say that I'm, I'm very gratified for those of you who stick with us between elections. As I feel like we've probably whittled everyone down to the kind of core listener group of that now, because it is very fun making this podcast for you. And I hope I hope to have some interesting news about some other civic politics podcasting projects for you guys in the near future. So stay tuned for that. That's all I can tell you about that right now, though. Exciting stuff. Well, we could take a second to respond to listener feedback from the last episode, which is that people in our Slack were really wildly angry about your takes on the Broadway bike lane, Matthew. But I'm springing that on you, so I won't force you to respond to comments you probably missed in the Slack. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I see their point. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think they're wrong. And I just have a limited capacity for anger about certain things. And, like, is there street improvements that can be done on Broadway? Sure. But, like, I don't know. I, I think the yeah, two I things don't... about it that... I could have and should have brought to it is like we talked about how broadway is one of the busiest corridors and there are a lot of cyclists along 10th and 8th and that's infrastructure that exists but it is kind of an induced demand situation and also those aren't the safest and we kind of glibly went over this like the most doorings that happen in the city like where cyclists get hit by car doors opening is 10th app because it's very busy and there's parked cars all along it making that safer it would be a good thing But I think the challenge we both ran into is the writing was so on the wall for that vote that happened kind of right after we recorded that I don't think either of us were very optimistic and therefore didn't expend the energy defending what would otherwise be a great idea. And so we're just like, well, this is going to die and fail. Let's be mad about something else. Yeah, like that's kind of my... (sighs) That's kind of my attitude with this council. And I know that's like a little bit defeatist and we keep telling people to not get defeatist about this, but like on some stuff, you got to keep your powder dry. Like you can't, you can't fight every battle and win. And 
don't get me wrong, if they had been like a different council and seemed like on the wire about supporting a supporting a bike lane of that nature, I would have been more enthusiastic perhaps in my support of it. And I absolutely support the principle of it. But I just like I don't know, we've got this council, we have to live with them. <laughs> don't be angry at me. Go knock doors. <laughs> The battle that has come up is along Hastings Street and the downtown east side as council has pushed city staff and the VPD into gear to clear the encampments, and it's happened. This was a few days ago, April April 5th, actually, already. Wow, time flies over a long weekend. But yes, yeah, so the... This was a, a move that was initiated by the city. It was approved at a recent in-camera meeting. A, incidentally, what I consider personally a improper use of the in-camera feature. Uh, I did but... look this up. The Vancouver Charter does say that meetings can be done in-camera or closed to the public if they involve, quote, the security of the property of the city or law enforcement if council considers the disclosure would reasonably expect it to harm the conduct of an investigation or enforcement of an enactment. So nope, this was an enforcement think... and it's a stretch. That's bullshit. That's total mm-hmm. bullshit. I don't think that's reasonable at all. Like, they knew... None of the discussion that they were having before the fact that they would have taken on the vote would have impacted the way that the police would have executed on the vote. Like, it couldn't have changed. Like, it's absolutely the enforcement and enactment, but knowing the debate process that went into it wouldn't have changed how the enforcement happened. It wouldn't have impacted the enforcement of an enactment. It would have just allowed us to see who was in favor of it. Like, I agree it should have been in public. It's chicken shit that it went on in secret. There was a leak of the memo that was circulated by staff that teased this. The Stop the Sweeps crew got a hold of this. So for all of the secrecy they had, they still have leaks at council, which is fun to see. But yes, police created their lines on April 5th with city staff. It seems like it went down non-violently as non-violently as it could have like there wasn't open brawling or reports that i saw of mass injuries that's not to say it was peaceful or like pleasant it was a you know inherently aggressive move and i think the fact there were just so many police on the scene kind of you know gave notice that if you were there all right it's over you've already lost so this is in response to some of the Things that have been happening on Hastings over the past year. Vancouver Fire Rescue Services reported more than 400 outdoor fires on East Hastings in the last eight months that injured four people. The Vancouver Police Department also says that there has been a 9% increase in assault in the department, in the neighborhood since last August when the encampment began. This is, of course, uh, I don't know, it's a stat from the VPD, which, as we all know from that hilarious report that they put out, is total nonsense. They are not a reliable organization. They can also juice up salt statistics if they want. Also, yeah. 9% isn't actually that much. We're in a pretty peaceful society. There aren't that many crimes or assaults happening regularly. So this could be, without seeing the like actual raw numbers, an increase of like four or five actual assaults, which could just be I, noise. Okay, f- fair enough. I, but like my, I, I don't want to minimize, like assault can be a fucking life-changing thing for someone to have happen to them. 
And that's like terrible and bad. But I also feel that like the primary thing that we should be reading into this is that the VP, like I have lost faith in the VPD in terms of them reporting on our crimes, like on the crimes that happen to society. Not, not you and I, of course, our crimes are all deep. But no, I, I think that like the VPD can't be trusted because like that report demonstrated they can't be trusted they'll come out with bullshit and like to say that there's a nine percent increase i don't know what that means like i don't mm -hmm. know how much legitimate these results assaults were i don't know how many of them progressed to like prosecution or conviction like this is nonsense yeah and i think we'll come back to a larger discussion on the vpd and a number of related issues in a future episode because there's a couple stories we had to cut from this episode because there's just too much going on. So that's kind of like the motivation was fire rescue and VPD putting this to staff and the broader, I think, desire within the ABC coalition and base to see something done. Now we know that housing was being is in the works and coming online in the coming weeks and months. And some of that was announced just a couple days ago where a building at 12th and Granville was just purchased, as well as the Water Street RO Hotel is being reopened, giving a couple hundred homes, and there's another at least 150 or 200 coming online. But those aren't open yet. And so a lot of the criticism here was, okay, where are these people going next? So the mayor said that 10 residents who asked for shelter were accommodated and that there were spaces for others. But city manager Paul Mockery admitted to media that there were not enough shelter spaces to accommodate everyone uh, with multiple shelters in the city and regions saying that they are full to capacity. Yeah, a full 80 structures were removed. So there was, you know, 70 people just at least pushed to other streets, other areas in the city, maybe joining Crab Park tent camp. It's shuffling decks or it's shuffling deck chairs kind of situation. It's not particularly productive. Yes, shuffling deck chairs, perhaps throwing them out. William James, a man who was living on Hastings, told CTV that police threw out the foamy that he slept on along with the rest of his belongings. He said police threatened to arrest him when he was upset about this. It's I mean, I'd be really upset if all I had was put in a trash can. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's just ugly stuff. I found it interesting. There was a Vancouver Sun report about the bins that people stuff was being put in. I think they interpreted it as the garbage, but technically the city told the Vancouver Sun, these bins can be returned to people if they give a building address, such as a housing facility or residential address, which by definition, none of these people have. They were living on the street. So the it's city will hold like on to them. Unbelievably, for unbelievably cruel. Yeah, like, the city's going to throw everything out in 30 days. That's, that's insane. I Wow. So, as one might expect, the evictions were criticized by the usual activists, as well as Canada's housing advocate and the BC Human Rights Commissioner. The city has also announced there are going to be quick response teams set up to continue enforcement actions as the tents inevitably pop up. And we've already seen stories of them popping up on neighboring streets and police responding in kind. Following that, there's going to be a longer strategy to keep, I don't know, harassing people who have nothing else. And in some actual news that might help solve this crisis, the province announced that there were another 200 homes opening, 95 at a Water Street, as you mentioned, and 
the Center 15 at 12th Avenue in Granville. So it's a story that's still ongoing. I mean, the work on East Hastings is largely done. I haven't been down there in the last few days, but those people still exist. They still don't have housing. The shelters are very full and many people don't feel safe in those shelters for a number of legitimate reasons. And so we're kind of stuck in this repeating cycle until more and more houses can get online. And I can imagine that if you were one of the people who was living on the street on Hastings, you're probably not going to be eager to move to 12th and Granville because it's quite a distance from all of the supports you would have existing. And so it's a positive step to see that building open, but this is a really tough situation where without you know, additional wraparound supports and community gets undervalued in a lot of these discussions. We're going to just keep yeah. seeing the same issues arise for a while. Well, from evictions to budgets, the mayor's budget task force has been created. Uh, it will work on a volunteer basis to find efficiencies to identify new revenue sources. This is, of course, for everything except for Parks Board, VPD, and Vancouver Public Library budgets, which are exempt. God forbid we touch the police's budget. That would be illegal or whatever, or basically just overridable by the cops if they feel like it. The reports for these are expected in October. This is, of course, stemming off of Ken Sim's greatest tax increase in Vancouver in the last several decades, and much of which has gone to the police. And his election campaign promised to not raise taxes that much and also find efficiencies in the budget for the spending that he wanted to do. Who is on this task force, Ian? Kind of an interesting mix. There's Joy McPhail, who will be chairing it. She's former deputy premier and chair of BC Ferries board. It's like one of only two names I really recognize on there. She was a New Democrat for a number of years. You have a bunch of other accountants and money type people. So Randy Pratt from Adara Development as their CFO. He's currently with Nampa Enterprises. Lisa Stewart, an accountant with RBC. Vince Locke, who is a retired chief financial officer of the TK Corporation. And he had previously worked at Deloitte. Calvin Buss, who is with Deloitte also an accounting company, Tom Chambers, a senior manager with PricewaterhouseCoopers, just like accountants across the board. Bridget Anderson, current president and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Kenneth Bay, who's the city's former director of planning and treasury. And Wade Grant, who has previously yeah. run for council, and we interviewed him on this podcast, Musqueam Indian Band member. And he has actually, I didn't know this, worked for Christy Clark's government and on the police board in the past. Yes. So, I mean, there are a bunch of very smart people on that, that panel, and I will be interested to see what they come out with. Because, like, do I think that there is, to be honest, a ton of bloat in Vancouver services? Not really, but, like, there's always some access. And so, it's like, that can be trimmed somewhere. And, like, there are inefficiencies in how Vancouver does run things. It's an overregulated city, for sure. Is there a reason for that? Yes. Will I say that, like, man, it is nice to be back in a city where things don't look like kind of universally like garbage? Yes, that's very nice. God, the city fight for sore eyes. Holy shit. 
But like I'm I'm a little skeptical as to them finding as much as like what Kempton's tax increase was going to you know bring in in revenue. I'm curious to see what they find on the revenue side. Maybe some like parking fees could be proposed and discussed yeah. by this council. That would be hilarious. Possibly a maybe road tax a road would tax. even better. But maybe there are other obvious revenue sources I'm missing, but those ones would be fun. I like the idea of just charging people a toll to come into Vancouver. Like, basically, no road tax in Vancouver, road tax. But like, for Vancouver, no road tax. If you're coming into Vancouver, road tax. If they could work with Burnaby, New West, and the Tri-Cities, they could tax the bridges that get in there. You know, doing all of the roads between Vancouver and Burnaby might be a little bit tough. Every single one. The vote on this task force was pretty interesting. manual tolls. It ended up passing unopposed. The Greens in one city had proposed a number of amendments, like bringing the VPD or park board into scope, but those were all rejected. And I believe Sarah Kirby Young called them performative amendments to the motion, which was a bit rich given how amendments have been proposed over the past, I don't know, always. Yeah. I mean, sure, whatever. Say the quiet part out loud, describe the thing that's happening. Have two people on council. All their amendments are fucking performative. Fuck off. Christine, Christine Boyle ended up voting for the final motion supporting this. The Greens decided to abstain. So we are yeah. now in the realm Stop. where... True heroism right there. Well done. Yeah, they've taken the Hardwick route on this to supporting it without officially supporting it. Amazing. All right. Well, in other development news, rezoning is coming to the Canby Corridor. So the Canby Corridor plan is happening. Roughly 1,600 townhomes could be built. Previously, there were 167 lots pre-zoned in 2018. That led to 625 new units underway or completed. City staff say this is only possible because there's no additional utility upgrades required, i.e. there is enough tubes for the poop. Uh, this is really nice to see. Like Vancouver's and Metrovan's default approach to zoning is the negotiation-based system. Like We have put in the area plan that you could do this here, but you mm -hmm. have to still ask for permission to do it. And then they can negotiate and fight over CACs and development fees and all of that. This is going to make it easy to build townhomes in the Canby Corridor. Now, there's still lots of criticism you could have for this. It's not dense enough. It is not the entirety of the area, but it's still a pretty positive step forward, I think, to see this open in an area where there is the transit capacity. As city staff have said, there is the utility capacity. Move it forward. It's very positive. This is one thing I can give credit to staff where we're going to like shit on them in the next couple stories. Yep. Well, yeah, that is for sure what's going to happen. So at the Army and Navy store, which closed in 2020, a, proposed for, a proposal for rede redevelopment that was rejected by staff has come directly to council under the Kennedy Stewart era policy. This, policy. this policy allows for projects that have been rejected by staff to come directly to council. This particular proposal is for three mass timber towers of 17, 9, and 11 stories with 155 total rental units, 44 of which will be for low or very low rents, plus 225,000 
square feet of office space and retail. The previous proposal brought forward, and this is by the owner of the Army and Navy stores plus BOSA, was for a taller tower that would have impinged the view cone and otherwise I think had more office space than the area was zoned for. And I checked on Twitter and most people are criticizing this for like, why do they need another office tower? Everyone's just working from home now, which I'm not tuned in enough to that debate. I think this is a positive proposal, although it does still skew away from the downtown east side area plan. It's positive to see the very the 44 affordable units in there. Those are going to be run by BC Indigenous Housing Society if this goes forward, and they will be entirely subsidized by the development of the rest of the building. And so there's not actually additional government funding to build this. So it's pretty hard for the city to say no for this. The society would also be running 37 space daycare and the building would set aside some additional space for nonprofits. So looks positive for me, but I'm sure we'll see some criticism come out in the future. Yes. So as I mentioned, the story closed in 2020. It's currently being used by BC Housing as temporary housing. This would be more of a permanent strike solution is what we need. But we are done without the view cone. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You don't like my take on the bike grades. Come at me over view cones. I just don't see them as being as valuable as a lot of people crow about. Anyway, in other tragic news, tiny homes, tiny homes. Oh, how we could have lived in you. But this- no, the Board of Variants. That organization that I've had on for so long that have now since resigned from, uh, well, it has rejected Brian Davidson of Lanefab's proposal for 1916 William Street. This is a second rejection of the board. Uh, he had initially brought forward a 1,200 square foot home. This is that tiny lot that's like 500 square feet in total that he bought for $200,000 and is like, I can do something with that. And he was like, here, I'll put a 1,200 square foot like narrow tower house on it and they're like no don't do that and he's like okay what if i do a 900 square foot house and they're like it's still not allowed Bryn told vancouver sun and other media the board said they recognized the fact that it would be better as housing than it's just a vacant lot good for them but ultimately they weren't comfortable breaking the city rules and the city planner was strongly opposed to the project it's unfortunate that city staff came and complained about the livability of our proposal whereas there is zero livability in a place that doesn't exist Yep, that's correct. Should have voted otherwise, board. Oh, well. Bryn's going to use the place as a parking lot until he figures out what he can do with this bizarre strip of land. Oh, good. More part of the city signed over to cars. Just what we needed. Hooray. Hooray for the staff of the city of Vancouver. Hooray for the board of variants. Humbug. Anyway, in other crazy ideas, Ken Sim has shared some thoughts. Yeah. Uh, during a housing discussion at, a wall, at the Wall Center featuring at MP Terry Beach, who endorsed a Vancouver special for apartments, saying, I honestly don't know if it would help, but I just made it up. So that's the kind of creative thinking we want to incentivize. I mean, you didn't... Pete Fry, sorry, Michael Weave had this idea for the last council, but whatever. Lots of people have said this before, and here comes Terry Beach being like, what if we did the thing that everyone else has said? I think it's a great idea. Good, good, I mean, good it is. from Terry Beach. It's, ama- it's wonderful that he has had this thought. Uh, on this thing was a panel of mayors 
from Vancouver, Surrey, Richard, Burnaby, Victoria, and Kelowna. Justin McElroy, I note that Tim floats a couple of, quote, no-brainer ideas, which either means that you don't need to think too much about how excellent they are or that only a person without a brain came up with them. One of them is 3D printed homes, which he says was done in Japan. Would be built in a week. Cut down on construction waste by 898%. Not where it costs. Oh, dear God. You know what Ken Sam reminds me a lot of? Is, is Gordon Campbell. Gordon Campbell would like go and read these like public policy books over the summer. And then he would like come back to BC from his vacation wherever. And he'd when buy a car drunk driving. Yeah, exactly. He'd, he'd buy a copy of this book for everyone in his cabinet and they'd all have to read it. And they'd all get really into this book. And, and they'd govern by like bad policy book. And that's, kind of what I feel like the mayor is doing here. Like, are 3D printed homes probably going to play a, a role in how we do construction in the future? Yes. Is that the obstacle to creating more homes in Vancouver? No. Land cost is. Like, is a good idea, is it a good idea to put 10 stories of housing on top of every school, getting a seismic upgrade? Maybe. Like, that's actually not a bad one. But, like, Still, holy shit. It's just like, what, what, why do you think this is a problem? Anyway. Sims, like, mild defense. I did try to find the actual speech or, like, the event he spoke at, and I couldn't find further reporting on it. So, Justin Coroy may have just picked out the most, like, absurd things said, but he did still say them. So, yep. Oh, we're, this man is mayor. We're formed into sentences sentences that were apparently generated from thoughts that originated in the mayor brain. There we are. We'll come, However, back, to, we'll come back to mayor brain in a second. If you are, Sim yeah, is the smart mayor in this episode. Yeah, good, good stuff. So, if you are wanting to drown your tears after listening to this, and don't worry, folks, we ain't seen nothing yet. Re-mayor brain but you now have six whole places that are now permanent drinking locations. They will go year-round in 2023-2024. This is Canby Street at 17th, Canby Street at 18th, Granville Street and 13th, Granville Street and 14th, 855 West Hastings, Main Street and 21st, and the Little Plaza at Maple Street, Maple Street and 4th Avenue, which, to my account, is seven. Yeah, that last one isn't going year-round. It's only going to operate between May 15th and October 31st. So Fair enough. Six of them go year-round. The seventh is going to be summer, fall only. These are kind of following the pilot projects that the city was doing. Each of these is going to be run by their local BIA, or in the case of the Main Street one, by Little Mountain Neighborhood House and just residents. So that one will be the cool one. It's a positive step. Um, this was one of those things that Kennedy Stewart and that previous council worked on. We should come back to where the park board is on drinking in parks because that was such a mess in the previous yeah. iteration. Anyway, back to Mayor Brain. 
So uh, the Mayor's Council, a collection of mayor brands, I, I believe it's called a rat house, I think is the German word for it. A rat house of mayor brands on the RCMP in Surrey. So at a recent Mayor's Council meeting, George Harvey, the Delta mayor, moved a motion from the floor that was adopted unanimously. Yeah, not a lot of people watch the Mayor's Council live, so the news coming out of this trickled and was led largely by Brenda Locke issuing a press release from the Mayor of Surrey's, you know, official desk, the letterhead, saying, Mayor's Council unanimously endorses keeping RCMP in Surrey. And she put out a press release. She didn't put the text of the motion, but she basically said, all the mayors in Vancouver are behind me and we need to keep RCMP in Surrey and we're going to write a letter to the province demanding this. A day or two later, her opposition in Surrey, the Safe Surrey Coalition, this was Doug McCallum's party, put out a separate press release saying, that's false. That's a lie. And they t included the actual motion that was moved and adopted. And this wasn't even the agenda because it was moved from the floor that the MVRD Metro Vancouver Regional District Board provide the City of Surrey with a letter of support requesting a decision forthwith on the city's request to have the RCMP provide policing service for the City of Surrey. In other words, Metro Van supports a quick decision, whatever it is. Yeah, that's not support there, Marilock. That's not what you got. Mike Farnworth was asked on his view of Mayor Locke's interpretation, and he said, first off, that's incorrect. Just right to the point there, Mike. He says, the letter is on its way to me is a letter requesting a decision, not about whether it should be Surrey Police or the RCMP. He, Brenda Locke went on to say she's had, I'm just going to read her quotes because- Yeah, no, just, it's, it's worth well, putting this directly. I can tell you I've had countless over the years, not just this year, not just since I've been mayor, but over the years with many, many councillors, mayors- about the issue. So that was my interpretation. It's my interpretation of what happened at the meeting. If somebody doesn't agree with it, they don't agree with it, but I'm not going to respond to people that weren't in the room. And it's about Mike Farnworth's interpretations. He said he wasn't there. This is insane. Like, what do you mean you're not going to respond to people who weren't in the room? People in the room already know that you're lying. You like, you're like, I'm not going to talk about whether that I'm lying, except for the people who already know and keep your like, also, I was told in DMs from people in the room, she had made these statements and they did not correspond to what they understood they were voting on. Yeah. No, she, she's full of shit. She got some serious Surrey bear brain juice. Like, if someone tested the pipes in Surrey City Hall, like, is something going on there? Is there, like, lead that's been leaching into the water? This is bananas. She learned the worst habits from her predecessor. She did go on to tell Surrey Now leader, I've got to tell you, I hear from mayors all over, but particularly in Metro Vancouver, because I see them all the time. They're always asking me, so many of them, I this is such Trump language. I constantly get asked, when are they going to make a decision and why are they not honoring Surrey's decision? I hear all the time from mayors and councillors. Literally no one cares, except Surrey people. I can't think of one mayor that hasn't said what's taking them so long. You've got, you've given them all this information. It's your decision to make it not. I wouldn't want him to do that to us, she said of Farnworth. They understand the cost implications of this. It does affect them. And that's the other thing. The instability of what safety is 
it's starting to impact others. What? Actually, anyway, continuing on. An apology for what? My interpretation of what the motion said? Yes, yes, you should apologize for interpreting something so egregiously wrong as to misrepresent it. I, like, who knows the, what's in the heart of another? Who the now leader know? story is so good. They go on and say, like, all right, who wrote the words that you put out in this April <laughs> press release that contain quotation marks? She said, we get statements that are written here, and then I look at them. So sure, that's how everybody does it. And they said, no, but who actually wrote them? And she says, I don't know who wrote it, honestly. I don't know a thing about it. She did review it and sign it off, though. All right. So from too much communication to too little, the school board is a secret shadowy cabal deciding what your children learn. The VSB is under criticism from former trustee Ruth Herman for their meeting still being online only. She tried to go to an April 3rd special board meeting in person because she wanted to see the draft budget discussion. Now, the main budget discussions are happening on April 19th and 26th. Those are online meetings. And apparently so was the April 3rd meeting. And when she got to the offices, the doors were locked and she eventually spoke to vice superintendent who told her attendance was barred because of COVID-19 still. Later, a spokesperson, Gianna Cho, for the board said that specific meeting was closed, quote, because it was a board meeting that dissolved into a committee meeting of the whole, meaning it was for trustees plus representatives of stakeholder groups, including teachers, administrators, and support staff. That doesn't answer the question Everyone's to me. a stakeholder. Everyone's a stakeholder in a public enterprise. Like the schools. Her um, also complained that she wanted to go in person to have a paper copy of the budget, and Chow told the tie that everything is electronic so she wouldn't get a paper copy that i find very believable yeah um, like it's unfortunate i can see the value in giving some paper copies if requested but i i'm also like these are big documents and paper waste is a real thing so theoretically she should have registered to speak in advance of the public online meetings on april 19th or 26th no i don't really buy that these are public meetings they should be open to the public that's bullshit. Democracy does not happen in darkness. Going the complete opposite way in my neck of the woods, the Coquitlam School Board is only letting people come in person. They have officially ended the practice of live streaming their meetings since they are all meeting in person now. They have been live streaming them through the pandemic when they're meeting online or in hybrid form. But now that all of their trustees are expected to be in person, you just have to go to their office on whatever, I think it's a Monday evening at 7 p.m., particularly if you have kids, that'll be super easy, as many parents of school-age children too. Yeah. I mean, like, in principle, I find this not technically as bad as the other thing that's happening, but, like, come on, just stream the meetings. Yeah, you've it, especially since everywhere already bought and set up the stuff, like, it's one thing, especially in like Coquitlam or Vancouver, where everybody's barely able to get to the board in person, theoretically. Mm -hmm. But you get into northern or remote rural areas, and it could be a two-hour drive to get to your school board meeting. So they should, they could all be streamed. This could be something the province easily supports and requires, as well as allowing in-person attendance, because in-person is different and more valuable in many ways, as Herman points yeah. out in the discussion, 
she could go and ask questions of trustees after the meeting informally. Like I didn't fully understand the budget, but I didn't have like a formal question. Just help. That's good stuff. Democracy is a messy thing. We're working on in the digital age, but like, don't do stupid shit, folks. It's, I don't know, frustrating. If you're doing something that lets fewer people interact with your meetings, you're probably doing democracy. Yeah. Except in that case we mentioned a couple weeks ago where they like blocked action for Canada and the conspiracy cranks. Like, that's my exception. Yeah. yeah. Well, from... No, I, I don't have a segue. We're just going to jump right into Vancouverada. Vancouverada is the way we end every episode of the Candy Report. It is a little tidbit from Vancouver's history. And today, it's also a mystery. Yeah, this story comes via Ali Turner at Vancouver is Awesome. Headline, illegally installed plaques commemorating a Vancouver's bus route, a mystery, says City. So Turner reports on a series of plaques, little metal ones attached to light lamp posts that no one knows who installed, but they read residents' political lobbying and petitions produced the much-needed 49th Ave bus route, which began on March 21st, 1975. That statement is true, and it actually prompts Turner to dig into the history of the number 49 bus. So the 49th Ave bus was proposed in June 1973 as a replacement for the existing UBC Marine Drive bus 46. However, many times it had to be postponed because of shortage of buses of drivers, and eventually a lot of the local people were divided on it. There was a who were in Marpole Oak Ridge who really wanted it to come, but then there was another set of homeowners who in February 1975, 95 of them expressed their opposition, claiming only 26% were in favor of it, contrary to the 50-50 split that engineering was claiming was in existence. I don't know who had the better opinion poll. It seems like they're both probably wrong. Polling is a science of a long way. My favorite thing here is still that... wrong a lot. The, yeah. The... The residents allege that the city of Vancouver promised them 49th Ave was never meant to be an arterial street and demanded a refund for the money they paid curbing it if the road did become a connecting route. I don't think the city ever refunded them, but they did vote a few days later to approve the 49th bus, which now serves UBC, Langara, Dunbar, and Marine Drive. Yes, I, I lived very near the 49th Ave bus when I lived at 46th and uh, I found it very useful. It's a, it's a good, good route, and I am proud of the people who petitioned, lobbied, and otherwise agitated for the bus to get installed. And if Kennedy Stewart had been re-elected, part of that could have been replaced by his magic Skytrain loop that would have been funded out of who knows where, but he did propose running... That Skytrain through 49th in the southeast corner of the city. Yes, he did. But that's a different Vancouver, another one in the multiverse. Join us next week for or, uh, some continuing coverage. We're going to try and come back at you with some interesting stories uh, in, in the coming weeks a little more frequently than we have been, uh, at least over this next little while. But... Um, Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Cam Report. It is, as always, a joy to bring this to you. Uh, for Leg and Boot Media, I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. Good day.